listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Welcome back. Today, I am thrilled to interview Yuji Oka of the Spiral Movement Center in Toronto, where my son went for their movement program weekly for many years up until the pandemic. Yuji is the founder and a practitioner of Adapted Spiral Praxis, which is based on the body-mind somatic process, which Yuji will tell us about. It's a child-centered modality that deals with the internal experiences of children, their physical, emotional, and cognitive experience, not unlike DIR floor time, yet very different. Today, he is here to talk about his work with the disability and special needs populations that he serves. Welcome, Yuji. Hey, welcome, Daria. I'm so happy and honored that you uh, asked me on this podcast. Well, I just feel uh, like, where did the time go? I should have had you on five years ago because <laughs> we've known each other for so long and mm -hmm. you've seen um, my son come in and out of your center when he worked with your practitioner that you had there and he just loved coming. And um, let's get into what you do because people are wondering now, what did her son do there? <laughs> yes, um, you know, um, the background of what I do, I work in a field called somatics and uh, somatics is basically concerned with working with uh, through the body and uh, body as a vessel for pretty much all the experiences of life. Um, if you think about the sensory motor stage in, you know, the first six months of life, um, it, somatics is sort of saying, hey, that world exists through your whole lifetime. And particularly with the kids that um, we uh, work with, you know, special needs and disability, it's actually still often the primary means in which a child really feels the most themselves, most grounded in themselves. So um, uh, I started out uh, in this field working uh, through dance. I have a background in physics and dance. And um, the dancing in particular was very, very instrumental to introduce me to this sort of philosophy of uh, working through the body and making use of the body in a greater context than in the theater or, you know, as an artist, uh, I really love to see that, um, you know, the same sort of things that come about in dance, you know, learning about your body, learning how to express yourself, becoming more um, just confident of yourself and more independent um, can apply to children. So that's kind of a nutshell of, of where this uh, somatic work started. And we've developed our own system of, of of working with children based on that sort of uh, dance slash somatic process. Now, I've seen many of your videos, and for those listening or watching on YouTube, I will put links to UG Center in the, the write-up of the podcast and in the YouTube link description. Uh, you have a number of videos that show amazing transformations that people have gone through, and not just children, and um, it involves... I'm going to give a very simple example, and then you can take it from there to sort of describe the the general work that you do. And then we can go into what we did um, with my son. But I had a, a shoulder injury, a rotator cuff injury. And I went to, and I think it was from doing Zumba with weights. I went to an exercise class in downtown Toronto and we were doing weights, you know, and like 
those classes are like so bad because they make you go so fast and you're not moving properly. And I, I'm mm. surprised 8 billion people don't get injured doing that all the time. But I'm a person who's always been active and athletic and done weights. And yet, whatever happened to my shoulder, I went to numerous sports clinics, did physiotherapy and everything. And just, uh, I go to Yuji. He <laughs> sat me down. And I will give an example of what you told me to do. You said, you know, like, Put your arm straight out and with your finger, pretend you're drawing a circle, but picture it coming from your shoulder blade, like a big, long pencil that you're controlling from the shoulder blade. So you feel it through the whole shoulder. Now, even that alone was so different than anything I'd experienced, because usually if you're thinking of drawing a circle, you're picturing your, your finger, but going and moving the whole muscle and then I forget, there was a couple other things you told me to do, but that's the thing that stuck with me the most is just the way you move, where you picture in your head, where that and motion is coming from is makes a huge difference, if not the entire difference. So do you want to talk yes. about why that is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you're hitting the nail right on the head. It's, you know, a lot of times what happens is when we do um, a therapy or when we think about a child's problems, we think in terms of the function, you know, like, let's say, uh, you know, I want them to lift a cup or I want them to brush their teeth. And so our focus is on the toothbrush and holding the toothbrush and stuff. But, the, you know, the actual thing um, is that when you actually learn about your body, um, you have to learn about your body first before you can actually do the activity. And uh, in somatics and in body-mind uh, activities in general, the focus is really on um, how you actually do the thing rather than the activity itself. So the activity is very important. Of course, we're all looking for those functional milestones for our children. Um, but when you understand that children, when they're learning about those movements, they're not necessarily interested in the activity. They want it to feel good inside themselves. They want it to feel like it makes sense inside their own bodies. And it's a really subtle process. Um, very beautiful. It's an art form. It's really related to, as I said, my dance experience. I started dancing late. And when you you see these beautiful dancers and you see how they move, and you know that first you just want to copy them, but that's not how it really works. You have to start to really look inside yourself and say, hey, you know, this is looks really light and thing, but you have to be engaged so much. There's certain muscles that you've never used before. And you start to understand that the process of learning is actually contained within the body and not in the forms that actually that everyone sees. And so whether it's like a walking or crawling or doing rolling, um, what I always find with kids is that sometimes they just don't know what to do. They don't know, they, they, they see you doing it. And so they know that there's a skill to be made, but they get frustrated because they're like, my body doesn't seem to move like that. Why, why, why isn't it moving that way? And the whole process is to guide that process, to let them know, hey, you know what? There's just certain things you have to know. Um, we call it a flow learning. So basically it has to it has to hook into their understanding of their own body. And so that's going to be different for every child. And every child is going to find a different way that they might find their door to rolling or crawling or walking. So yes, this is this is the thing. It's an internal thing rather than an external uh, uh, thing. I've seen a lot of videos that you you work with children who have complex disabilities. So mm. severe cerebral palsy, or other injuries um, that maybe have happened later in, in older people. Like I saw the video of 
an older man who had had back surgery and a million different things on his back. And, and you showed the video of him walking all hunched. And all of a sudden you worked with him for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden his posture is totally perfect. And he's walking without pain. And after years of nobody being able to help him. And the, another video of the young, I think he was a teen, but he might've been early twenties guy from, was it Scotland? Oh, the yes, re yes. recent video, Dylan. I think Dylan's yes. story. And he had had been hit by a car when he was nine and, and started having so many tremors that he couldn't control himself. And mm. he came with his family and you spent a week or two, or I can't remember how long with him and did all these different movements. And you showed all the positioning of his body. Like he was sort of hunched. And then eventually at the end, he was more straight and he felt more powerful and he was able to move with more control. His foot was cramped and then it was more uncramped. And all of these techniques that you do through movement to help him feel his body and, and have that control is absolutely incredible. So that was the first thing I wanted to say. And then um, the, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, now I forget. So let's just go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what, you know, I mean, this is really a topic really close to my heart because, um, you know, for me to see people um, get to know their own bodies, um, is like what I love, you know, this is just where my passion is and it really gets me going. And um, people like Dylan or, you know, see, I have a kind of a beef, like the way we usually determine those kids being in those situations is through the symptoms that they show. But I often feel like those symptoms are not part of who they are. They're actually not, you know, so for example, with autistic kids, a lot of times people say they're tactically defensive and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, they're extremely sensitive to how you touch them and how they perceive your touch. But in fact, uh, they want your touch. They, they, they crave that. That's what they need, but it has to be done in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, that makes them feel comfortable. Same thing with in CP, what happens is sometimes they'll have a thing called spasticity. And I've been on this sort of like big sort of path, this mission I want, I'm trying to cry out from the thing like, that can be treated. It's not something that's part of the condition. It's a symptom of the condition. But I think it's more part of a part of the condition because the children are encountering uh, obstacles in their learning process. So let's say, for example, a child is rolling and their arm gets stuck in a position, you know, and they just keep trying to push through, push through, push through. Um, the spasticity I find for a lot of the kids is coming because of that. They're just pushing like at 100% thousands and thousands of time. And they're just actually putting in a bad habit that can be corrected with just a little bit of guidance. So um, yes, you know, a lot of the things that I do look, you know, sort of uh, impressive because... Um, uh, because, you know, there's there's this progress, but it's all about small progresses. And it's all about paying attention to those gaps that are overlooked inside the learning process. Just little things like, oh, they just need to know how to leverage their body so they can do the second part of the role. How do you get them to slowly start to figure out what that whole process of physical interaction means? And we do that through, not just through my touch, let's say, as a as a, as a practitioner, but through the touch of other children, for example. It's like, work within the flow and within the peer situation that they have. And if you do that, you can very much, very often like open that door for them. Um, and they, it's sort of a participatory process where everybody's sort of opening the door to let that happen. So you reminded me my, my fork that I was going in two directions was yes. work. And you covered the, the part that I had said, I forgot, which was uh, working with children as they develop. So someone 
who has CP comes in or someone's autistic and, and has uh, motor planning challenges like my son and Praxis and comes in and working with them to be more comfortable in their bodies versus the other two examples that I gave, which were the injuries that then you help them get back to a more um, functional state that they were in before their accident. So all of that is sort of the work that you're doing. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. It's, it's sort of, I, I see it as, as, as a balance, you know, like um, I see that working through blocks and difficulties, you know, the things that are holding a child back is kind of like um, if you imagine a tree um, and you want that tree to go strong, uh, tall, you want the roots to go down and that roots for me represents sort of the awareness that the child has of their body and what they need to do to know what's going on in their body when they are having a difficulty. And the other side is to let them fly, like to get them so comfortable that they just feel like they just wanna, uh, you know, you just open up the natural doors of learning that every child has, their natural curiosity. And once you've hooked into that, I sort of feel like, and you can address their challenges, you know, the, the pains or the anxieties that they feel. I feel like when you have both of those poles taken care of, that's when child feels really comfortable. And yeah, um, that feeling of, yeah, maybe, we can fly together is, 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 is comes about. And you see it in the videos. You're, you have such um, a good sense for editing in your documentaries <laughs> that you've done. They're, they're really powerful. I'm going to put a link to some of them in the blog post because they are very powerful and, and heartwarming and bring me to tears every time. Cause it's such <laughs> a moving story. Like the little girl who came from South America uh, who had cerebral palsy with her mother and you worked with her and you showed the whole yeah. Um, process just amazing yeah. I have a very special relationship that I can do um, I'm lucky in this respect um, because um, I have my own space I live at my space and I often have people families who visit live at my space also and because I'm with the families 24 7 uh, for those visiting parents I kind of get a glimpse into you know, the whole, whole picture, you know, it's one thing to be having a child in your studio for an hour and, you know, it's sort of, you play the teacher and stuff, but when you actually see all the things that go in and every parent that has a child who has special needs or disability knows what that means. It's, it's like a completely different planet that everyone is living on inside of the regular things that happen in society. It's like times three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10, things that people can't imagine. And um, so when, uh, you know, this whole documentation process is um, something that we do that I don't think it's, you know, because um, I have such an immersion, I can bring the camera in um, and it sort of starts to disappear. And um, when it disappears like that, you can capture some of those moments that you could never capture, uh, you know, even just as, as a practitioner, sometimes you don't see because there's so much Oh, just the stories. It's just crazy, right? Just the hopes and the, you know, of everybody involved. I just love when everyone is just trying to make it work. And when there you see those breakthroughs, um, there's just a such a a torrent of emotions and torrents of possibilities that come about that happens. I just love it. I, I just love it. And uh, I'm, I'm I feel very blessed that I can sometimes capture some of those moments, you know. It, it's it's really, really beautiful. <laughs> it is incredible. And um, just to give a little bit elaboration on what you just said. So his center in Toronto, you've moved from the center that I used to visit with, um, yes. with my son, you now have uh, a bigger place where, like you said, you live and work, 
And then you have extra space for people that maybe like the one family came from Brazil, the other family came from Scotland, and they'll live in your spare room or area or whatever. And you're there 24 seven, you have meals together, you, you're working with them every day. So you really get to see those family dynamics, which is amazing. Um, yes. And I'm sure people listening might want to sign up. So uh, <laughs> I, you're probably booked solid as it is, but I'll put the uh, information out there for people that are interested. I remember now how I heard about you guys. It was something on a mailing list or something. It was, was it special songs for special kids or no, no, that's a different, that's a different YouTube channel. It was something about songs. Yeah, body and songs and stories. Yeah, body, body songs, songs and stories. Yes. Yes. So one of your colleagues was there presenting it and it was through songs or something. And through yeah. that, we heard about you. And then my son started coming to, I know you do adapted yoga with groups of kids. Um, yeah. My son didn't do that. He was quite young. He was, I think, three or four when he started. Yes. And he's now 14. I can't believe it. Um, so yeah, it was like 10 years ago. So he came and wow. you had a big studio. I'm just describing for the listeners, a, a gym floor in a loft, um, big, huge space. Mm. And you had floor mats and you had those like um, gymnastics style pillows and, and blocks. And mm. she would set up this little like obstacle course style for my son and and she first she would say okay roll and so he would do rolls and you'd see like he sort of would struggle and he'd roll crooked or whatever and then <laughs> I remember specifically when she set up the wooden blocks so often and she would hold his hand and she'd be like um step jump jump step jump jump and they're going up and down up and down and just yes. all of these different sequences of different types of movements and doing somersaults and then at the end of each little thing, like he'd do jump, step, jump, step, or whatever. At the end, she had bean bags and she'd say, here you go. And he would like whip it so high. Like he, my son was such a thrower. He, the scouts right. were probably That's watching right. him. Like this kid's going to be a, a, a pitcher or a quarterback or whatever. He's like whipping them up. And I remember you, your living space was up in the loft. So sometimes you would be up there, maybe yeah. sleeping or working or whatever, because it was sometimes early in the morning and he'd be whipping beanbags and we'd be like, oh, did he hit Eugene? And my son would burst into laughter and it was so <laughs> yeah. much fun for him. He loved it. Yeah, and it made him more motivated to then do the movements with her. And I remember her having these the bench and then a big thing on the bench and him standing up so high and I'd be like having a heart attack is he gonna fall off and she'd have him jump onto the big mat and get him more confident in jumping and just all of these different movements so yeah. that program is all caps movement exclamation mark <laughs> how what is the like principle behind or the principles behind that program well you know I, you know um uh, on a certain level, you know, definitely, we're, like for example, we're working on the same thing, right? The the whole play process is a huge part of the whole situation. Um, you know, that the child is just exploring and feeling that you know they're not doing sort of road activities, but they really feel like um, they're 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 engaged and and you know discovering things, you know. Um, uh, and so, like, I think that this is the sort of general thing. And I think this is the most important thing, really, is that uh, the children are going through the exploratory process. And, um, you know, but I, it's also connected to the whole, um, you know, I feel like there's this kind of universal learning process that all kids go through. Um, you know, we, we represent it through the, the, 
they the postures, the equilibrium positions that a kid goes through. So, you know, they all start out lying down. They all go to a sitting position. They all go then from, from that propping position to crawling. And then they start to make their first attempts to stand on both feet. And once they get on two feet, there's this whole progression of jumping, leaping, you know, all of that. And that process... I feel it's fixed in time forever, you know, for eternity. It's like from the very beginning of humanity, uh, kids have been going through that process. And, you know, um, once you start to realize that that process is always there, um, you can just shape. And I think that's what we do. We just try to shape the kids um, sort of exploration and play through those things and what all the things that you're talking about like the movements and stuff like um we want them to fly like you know you, all these movements it, it's it, each one of those movements is a, a point of like aha like a insight into the whole situation so part of it is to get them to fly about it and to feel and also part of it is to maintain a um you know, a constant sense of learning about those things so it's not just when you walk for example when a kid walks uh, for the first time in the first year of life, they fall, they walk, they hold on to things, they fall, fall again, they try something else, they hold on to something. They do so many different things. There's so much variation. And it's sort of, if you could sort of see their movements through time, it would be like a big cloud of movements. They would just be going like this all over the place. And in some way, I think we are trying to uh, replicate that kind of experience um, by introducing little variations if they're standing we don't just have them stand but we have them stand as many many different ways as possible lots of partnering type situations uh, a lot of situations in which child has to do something slightly different for each thing maybe we put weights on them maybe they do it as a partnering exercise maybe the, we change the terrain so that they're doing it on an incline or whatever it is but basically just always trying to present the material fresh to them so that they're constantly going through that process. And yeah, that's what it is. You know, um, for me, um, the, uh, paradise is an empty space with a few props to help the kids, you know, remember and to keep them safe and all that stuff. Uh, but then just and then just let the kids be the movement clouds that they are basically. <laughs> oh, you brought back so many memories as you were talking. Like if it was a TV show, you'd show the flashbacks in my mind of my son going up the bench that was inclined while he was mm. holding her hand. Mm. And I remember him, she had him sitting on his knees and doing the bum scoot on a pillow and mm. he would do it a different way. And she's like, I remember her putting his leg like, no, no, here, keep your leg here, do this. And now push with your hands. And, it, and certain things were really challenging for him. He wasn't coordinated enough to figure it out yet or whatever. And just mm. getting him to do the different movements and then making them more complex. So instead of yes. just doing one thing, now he had an obstacle course. So first we're crawling through that tube, which he loved to do. And, <laughs> yes. or, those, or those mats, that folding mats. So she'd fold the middle up and it'd be like a tunnel. He'd crawl through there and then he'd step, jump, step, jump, and then roll and then go up the incline and then, you know, do this and then throw the bean bags. And then yes. it was like just all this different levels of complexity and everything. And it is just, I really think I'm, I'm so grateful that he had those experiences and that we had also bought him this really cool, fun play bunk bed, which he never mm. slept in, but mm. he practiced climbing up on the ladder and going down the slide like every day. So all of those movement things, I think, helped him 
even though he still struggles with a lot of, you know, motor planning style things like catching and um, coordination, yeah. maybe he would have struggled a lot more had it not been for all of his movement sessions. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think, you know, the effect here, uh, you know, the originally um, when first started was at a, a school for children with emotional disturbances. And at that time, it was emotional disturbances, behavioral behavioral uh, issues. Uh, um, there were different names for it. Uh, but but the, the real thing was the kids couldn't deal with things in public school. They were referred to the school because basically for whatever reason, um, they could not manage inside the classroom. And it usually it would manifest in behavior. That's the always the big thing. And, you know, I feel like with movement, you can sort of put the whole behavior issue in a different lens. Normally, what we're trying to do is we're trying to control behavior and say, don't do this, do, don't do this, this is what you're allowed to do and so forth. With movement, you're kind of saying, you're, you're still doing that. You, you want them to know that there are certain appropriate things that you can do with movement. That, but it's all done in this process of actions that make sense to the children. So it's not like abstract, like, you, you've got to sit down in your seat. You've got to do this. Um, you know, we do have seats, but we just we we tape off their 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 space. For example, we give concrete markers, so it makes sense. Um, we also give this idea through physicality. Like for example, when we're doing, let's say, a, a loop where we're doing a movement, and then he throws a beanbag, then he goes back into the seat. There's a kind of loop that we create here, a literal loop, spatial loop, and within that loop, there is a, a skill that needs to be done. And with a clear beginning and end, and there is a sort of a, 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 you know, the throwing the beanbag, something that motivates the child, makes them feel like, wow, you know, this is so it's fun to do. And then also coming back to see, we're instilling the idea of behavior, but in a more flexible way. And I feel like this is something that I really feel again strongly about. Is that sometimes I feel in order, uh, particularly with autism, to sort of feel like we have to. Um, control or guide the behaviors, we tend to um, make the structures, those structures more rigid. Like let's say, you know, we have activities in a very set order and so forth. And um, we have a situation where, um, you know, and we have certain rituals that we do to, to ground the children. All these are really important. Um, but when you introduce the notion that it's, they're fundamentally not like disoriented or dysregulated, you know, they, they get that way because they're overwhelmed. Um, when you start to say, hey, you know what, you're capable of doing lots of flexible behaviors, you know, choosing to go from here to here, choosing what type of movement you want, you want to do. Um, I think it's so important because it really, um, that deals with the other side of the tree, the, the up part of the tree, the flying part of the tree, that you are really trying to say, hey, you know, the behavioral issues is not because you're a bad person or because you can't you know, control yourself or it's because you need, you need to know how, what engages you. And when you do, you're perfectly engaged and your, your behavior is not out of, out of, out of the norm and it, it's all there. So yeah, it's, it, I love uh, movement because it's such a direct way of learning and it's not, um, uh, it's not like rules and things. It's all pre-academic, but it builds that foundation. So when the children have those skills, um, they're not in that situation where um, they cannot uh, cope within, you know, a traditional academic setting. That's definitely the big goal that um, I think all of us are trying to do is to get children comfortable in their bodies and being able to integrate into uh, more and more uh, social activities that they are perfectly capable of doing, but have difficulty approaching. 
I love it. And for the floor timers listening, you heard all kinds of terms we use in floor time there that you mentioned. So it, it's awesome to hear that, you know, the same kind of principles. Um, I, I had another flashback there when you mentioned the loop, because I forgot about that in between each exercise or, and actually, I know I, you probably don't like to say exercise in between each movement. Um, there was a big beanbag chair mm -hmm. and my son would be in store. Okay. To the beanbag. And he'd flop down there and wait. And then she would set up the next obstacle or bench or whatever she was doing. And it was so easy for him to just listen and follow those instructions because it was such a fun, engaging activity. And okay, beanbag, crash in the beanbag and getting that input, the proprioceptive input of the beanbag around him. And, exactly. and just a couple of times he'd get up and dart and try and grab those last few beanbags in the corner and whip them, even though he, she said, stop <laughs> yeah. back to the beanbag. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. That's the thing is that, um, you know, when we first came into the school system, for example, uh, they, everyone was saying, Oh, you're going to rile up the kids. You're going to rile them up. Be careful, be careful. But again, they, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we talk in terms of like OTs talk about a sensory diet, the kids need a sensory diet, um, but they also need a movement diet. They need, to feel like they can use their bodies. And, um, but yes, inside of a situation where you're working, a lot of uh, the work that happens with kids with special needs tends to be one-on-one -on -one and stuff. And uh, we do that work too, of course. But, um, you know, when we were working with whole classrooms, we realized that the there has to be structures that are concrete for the children to understand, not just, you know, keep your hands to self. These are the type of words that would be said. Keep uh, keep in your area would be a big one. Keep hands to self. Uh, these are not physical terms. They're not something that a child can really conceptualize. And they can't. They can conceptualize it maybe, but it doesn't physically make sense for them. And so, creating you know things, understanding how you're using space in terms of the the patterns that you're creating in space, um, understanding that there are physical markers to to show where a child is supposed to. To stay, um, so that it becomes real for them. Um, understanding touch, what their hands are meant to do by touching other kids, by sharing weight, by, by, by you know having a body-on-body -body sort of interaction. We found like those are the effective ways that a child really starts to feel that those um, particular um, skills can be learned without like using words, just just by having them do it. So yeah, definitely part of the the philosophy that we bring here. Um, to try to make everything as concrete as possible and try to avoid, um, you know, um, uh, behavior as being sort of a reward and punishment type thing, but as, again, a learning process. It's just straight part of the learning process. Behavior, actions, learning how to use your body. It's all part of just the learning process. Awesome, awesome. So what I know recently I've seen in your newsletters that you're traveling a lot you're going yes. around the world you're doing <laughs> yes. workshops can you describe a bit about what you what you do around the world yes um yeah i have this uh uh you know uh, i think because of the videos that we're putting out um people it resonates with a lot of families because um and we're finding this more and more that you know therapy around the world differs depending on the country different emphasis and stuff and uh, there's always a great need for education on different levels. Some countries are 
okay with physical touches, like in South America, for example, everyone's okay with physical touch. Whereas if you go to the UK, therapists aren't even allowed to carry their kids. They're 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 actually contracted not to do that. They have to use Hoyer lifts and stuff like this. Um, certain uh, situations like in India or Africa, a lot of the children are shunned. They cannot go to public school, not only because of the backlash, uh, the the fact that the teachers don't know what to do, but the kids themselves, the other children will actually attack them. There's a, a socially, there's a stigma, a very strong stigma to being uh, special needs or, um, uh, or disabled. Uh, so um, what I've, uh, you know, since I've been putting the videos up and, um, since the pandemic has lefted, I've been sort of on this nonstop. In fact, uh, you know, in a three weeks, I'm going to be gone for like two or three months uh, and visiting like five countries or six countries, I think. And um, it's all because there is this need. People, I think as parents, you have an intuition of what your child needs. You you know it. You kind of know, oh, my kids want to express. I know that there's some understanding that they have. I know their capabilities more than they're able to do right now. But I find that a lot of parents don't have the resources or feel that the resources that they have are in conflict or not conflict, but don't address the issues in a direct enough way for them. They feel that the kids are plateauing. They feel that the kids don't really have just that little extra attention that they need, individualized attention, where they can actually start to move forwards. And I think this is where that that um, energy is coming from. But it's out there. And I think, you know, programs like, play, uh, you know, Floor Time and, and my program. And I think we're all addressing this need that people are realizing that there needs to be ways in which parents feel comfortable working with their kids. And also that um, the kids themselves have an alternative to, you know, um, you know something that's not so uh, clinical, you know. There's definitely uh, you know many wonderful things that are being done in the clinical setting for children. Um, but sometimes the human one-to-one -one connection is not there for the kids. And I, I actually see cases of almost trauma where the kids are like young and they're crying. They, you know, their sessions are not reaching them. And uh, for me, uh, that's not that's absolutely not necessary. So the, yeah, this is what these trips are about. I think um, after uh, after the pandemic and during the pandemic, I, I had so many people who had watching and say, hey, can you come down? And um, now I'm able to start doing that since uh, we're all able to travel. And it's been so rewarding to, to see the children, uh, to offer help to families. Uh, often I can do like a uh, group, like free sessions where parents come in and they just bring the children. And just as an information, just to let them know, there are things out there you can find. And they don't necessarily belong inside of the, the you know, the, the prescribed things. You know, you find a teacher, a gym teacher, who's really, maybe that's your dorm, a yoga teacher who's willing to help. Uh, programs like ours is, there's lots of things if you're willing to start to look outside the box and just say, hey, there are, a lot, there are lots of people who want to, to help children there too. And you just find them, you just do research and yeah. So this is uh, what's happening. I'm so, so happy to be part of this uh, feeling. It's Amazing. Yeah. And I know also that you train practitioners. So you've done more and more of that over the last five years or so where people want to do what you're doing as a practitioner uh, for people listening that are thinking, oh, I want to get into this and I want to help kids in the way that UG is, what is the training process that you offer? Well, um, we have um, 
the my my travels have inspired me to try to create a a portal. Uh, it, the portal is on spiralmovement.org. It's not quite filled out. We're just starting to get uh, sort of a parent volunteer base. Uh, but that one is based on just trying to provide uh, parents with general knowledge about um, disability and special needs type things. I've, I've been, again, I, I was just in uh, Boston last weekend working with a group of parents. And again, I think that in general, there needs to be a lot of just general education about about everything, just just regular issues like, how parents relax for even, you know, it doesn't have to be two with the kids. There's lots of different things that, so that um, is part of the thing. And that's um, something that we're developing. And, and then for people who want more specialized training, uh, professionals or, you know, parents who really want to know how to work, we, we do offer an online class. We actually had a pilot project uh, during the, um, the COVID um, where we kind of just saw whether we can teach online uh, and we, we saw that it's like credible. This we can do that, and so um, this um, fall we're going to be offering our first um, uh, online series. So if if anyone's interested, if you want to check out our website, you can take a look there. But um, we offer um, uh, it's a it's sort of a year long thing, and parents basically just come with their children, and um, we, uh, from all over the for all, all over the world, and we just go through the processes of each child. You know, it's it's. For some people, it's uh, for the more professional type situations. We go through more of a curriculum. For for with for parents, uh, we really just go through each individual child, and you know, people describe their children, and we just try to go through a collaborative process where we try to figure out what what interventions are possible for our children. Amazing. So you mentioned one of your websites. Um, can you repeat that and then and give uh, another one if you have yes. different ones? Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so our our sort of global more uh, it's a it's a nonprofit one is called spiralmovement.org, and spiralmovement.org as I said is um, dedicated more as an online uh, portal a uh, resource for families. Um, it's not quite that filled out, but um, it's already got a, a good like um, background of just some parent stories and and you know different. Uh, um, some blog pieces and so forth, uh, and some podcast um, kind of uh, things that we're doing with our partners in Brazil. Um, so, you know, you can go check that out. That's all like, and then um, we have our brick and mortar place here in Toronto, and that's called adaptedspiralpractice.com. And that's where we normally do, um, you know, intensives for children, or we offer our sort of one-on-one -on -one, uh, services for children. So, uh, our yeah. Spiralmovement.org and adaptivespiralpraxis.com. Okay, and are you still going to do in-person training as well for practitioners? Yes, yes, yes. For um, basically our for our our our, our training track um, for professionals, they we have a we need to they need to do an on-site uh, module uh, so that they can get some training on-site. Um, but for parents, um, it's all online. Awesome! Awesome. And do you still have those movement classes and adapted yoga like weekly yes. and stuff on weekends for kids? Yes, we do. Um, they're they're a little bit. Um, our focus has started to go a little bit more because of the space. Um, our space isn't quite as big as our our, our other space used to be. Uh, so we're doing more sort of one on one work. But yes, we do have um small um adaptive classes, uh, adaptive movement and movement classes on the weekends. Well, I have to look into that and see because, you know, 
you know, we stopped before the pandemic and then, you know, um, we moved out of the city and it is a bit of a drive, especially on the weekend. But I remember if you leave early enough in the morning, it's not too bad. And and I should th- I should look at what you have there because I, I know that um, it really was helpful for my son. And um, is there anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up about your work, about the websites, about um, where people can see the videos? Do you have a YouTube channel? Yes, uh, we have a YouTube channel um, uh, under the Spiral Movement Center uh, that people can take a look at. Um, but, you know, if I was to say one thing uh, about, uh, you know, the work, and again, what drives me, and I think what drives everybody in this field who's working is that, um, you know, special needs and disability work, um, you know, up to like maybe the early 70s or late 60s, um, that's when we 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 have started you know, having the types of therapies that we now consider normal. Um, but before then, it was like really terrible. As I said, in my travels around the world, I start to see, oh, okay, this is what it was like. I mean, lots of information that needs to be put out there. And I feel like this is an ongoing process that we're still going through. And we're still figuring out best practices, alternative practices, holistic practices. Um, you know, there are situations now where conferences, you can... I, I, a person like me can go into a medical conference nowadays and to uh, put in a work. I'm working with a pharmaceutical company. I never thought I would do that. Um, there, I just feel the world is right now in a place where that's what that's what's happening. Like we we are still progressing, but we're progressing with about 50, 60 years worth of of special needs disability work, uh, and it's still happening. It's still happening that we're figuring things out, and I I just feel like that's the for me, the interest is like the 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 edge of the work where people on the front line, yourself and myself, and people who are just out there like trying to still say, hey, um, you know, these kids, like, you know, there's so many things that we don't know about these kids. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the autism world, for example, we have a video of this, but, you know, you'll see this, the, the the whole inner world there is still not understood at all. You know, is is it a gift that's happening there? Is it... You know, is this is it a disability? Is it a form of consciousness? What are we what are we dealing with here? And I think with that, those questions are still alive. So um, I just wanted to say that um, you know I feel like this is what excites me, and I and this is what I feel like um, why I love like podcasts like this, and just like the fact that we're still all out there trying to keep spreading the word and keep going forwards. And um, I hope that this continues for another fifty years, hundred years, or you know however long it takes us, so that. Uh, the kids really get um, the care that they need. So, uh, yes. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And and yeah, I can imagine going around the world, you see a lot of things that probably are quite disturbing. And oh, yeah, oh my gosh. I can yeah. tell you stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and to think, you know, here where so much has been done and so much research and so much money into it and still kids aren't really being served in the way yeah. that they need to be um maybe there's a few lucky kids here and there that you know really get to bloom like you say like fly and their roots get rooted in the ground and they they fly but little glimpses here and there but if only we could provide that for every child uh, that's that's the goal yeah yeah that's that's definitely always a goal yeah yeah (laughs) well thank you so much Yuji I'm so happy we were finally able to do this podcast Yes, I'm so happy too. And, uh, um, you know, uh, Daria sent me some 
I can't believe it's been like 10 years or something. I saw, uh, you know, you sent me videos of your son and, uh, you know, I can't believe that it's uh, 10 years. Time flies and uh, yeah, and we're still here. We are. We're still at it. We're doing everything. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy to see um, you guys going forwards. And um, yeah, um, you know, thank you again so much for inviting me to this podcast. Well, thank you. And listeners, look at the podcast at affectautism.com under spiral movement. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what the title is going to be, but you can search U-G-U-Y-U-J-I and it'll come up and you'll see the links to everything we talked about today. Thank you so much and good luck on your travels. I know you're going away in a few weeks to a bunch of different countries. So safe travels and hopefully everybody will um, enjoy everything that you bring to them. Thank you so much. <laughs> ICDL has a number of courses and services coming up that might interest you. On Friday, August 4th, I'll teach Be Sure, Supporting, Understanding, and Respecting the Expectations of Parents. This is a course for practitioners. Then on Friday, August 11th and 18th is the course Goal Development Informed by DIR. Coming in September are courses from psychologists Dr. Robert Nassif on Support for Fathers and Dr. Karen Levine on playing through fears and phobias in children. Then in November for six weeks every Friday at lunch is Choosing Play, Setting Up for Success Across the Lifespan. You can find out more information about all of these courses and ICDL's DIR Floor Time Certificate courses at icdl.com courses. Also check out the upcoming afternoon and evening dates for parent support meetings that I facilitate at the events tab at affectautism.com, including the first week of the month where we have an expert guest to answer parent questions. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day.